Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, there's a story about six men, and these six men were stranded on a deserted island. Two men were Jewish, two men were Catholic, and two men were Baptists. The two Jews got together and founded the Temple Emmanuel. The two Catholics got together and established the Church of the Holy Name. The two Baptists formed two Baptist Church and got into a squabble about who was going to use the name First Baptist Church. The truth is, it's been said, if you have two Baptists in a room, you have five opinions. You've never had the wonderful experience of having conflict with somebody in church or having your feelings hurt by another person claiming to be a Christian. Either you're a new believer or you've really not gotten involved with serving in the church. I can guarantee you that if you get involved, even at this church, you're probably eventually going to have conflict with another believer and probably sooner rather than later. I don't say that to discourage you. That would never be my goal. My point is really just to help you come and think realistically and be prepared for the inevitable. We all tend to think sometimes, and idealistically so, that since we're all Christians and we live by the Bible, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're obeying the commands to love one another, that there just simply won't be any conflict among us. Such idealism is simply unrealistic whether in the church or just even in your own family of believers at your own home, you find that to be true. There's a Christian ditty we used to sing many years ago that went like this. To dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, that's a different story. And people come into my office, they call me or they want to meet with me. And many times it's because of struggles here at the church. Folks, here's the truth. I can't sugarcoat it. We're going through a rough season as a church. It's okay. As a church, we're going through preference battles. As a church, there's division. As a church, there's disputes. There's joylessness. There's a lack of graciousness to one another at times. I want you to know that this pastor believes this is probably one of the best churches on planet earth. I love this church. And I want to let you know that great churches are made up of impressive people, but great churches made up of impressive people like ours still struggle with sin, and we need God's word to help us get through what we're going through. There's a way, church, to get through what we're going through. I want you to know there's a way because the church at Philippi needed some help getting through what they were going through. You see, the church at Philippi had some struggles. There was some kind of an issue that was going on, and Paul writes to them and says, hey, I know you're going through something. Here's some help to get you through it. So I want to challenge this morning to kind of hang out with me in Paul's pastoral study just for a few minutes. Let's listen to the Apostle Paul as he gives us some help 
about how to get through what we're going through. I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 4, continuing the study of the book of Philippians, the joyous advancement of the gospel of Jesus. And I wonder if you would take God's word and open it to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there's one in the seat pocket close to you there. Underneath that, you can take that home as our gift. You're more than welcome to open up your phone as long as this is what you're doing. <laughs> and if you don't want to do any of that, it's going to be on the screen behind you. Amen. So I wonder, could we just stand together as we listen to God's holy word? We stand because when God speaks, it's special. Amen. Amen. When God says something, we ought to be prepared to listen. Amen. It's a holy word we're fixing to read. So let's read this. I'm in verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Paul says, I urge you, Odia, and soon to key to live in harmony and the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also in the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice and let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. God, I pray that today you would take your word and speak what we need to hear so that, Lord, we could be a church that represents your heart to the world. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's the first thing we're going to talk about today. Let's get some gospel field instruction for how to get through what we're going through. Okay, you're going to get through what you're going through. The first thing is this, you got to love from the heart. you got to love from the heart. Paul says, hey, he starts this out, my beloved brethren. <laughs> I long to see you. You guys are my joy and my crown. Verse 1 says, and stand for my beloved. I mean, if we're going to get through what we're going through, here's truly the, the, the fact. We have to love each other from the heart. <laughs> I mean, you and I have to really believe that we're brothers and sisters and we're family. And we're going to protect our family. Paul says he longs to see them. Did you see that in the text? Sometimes we're out in public and we won't even acknowledge that we've seen another person. Paul says, hey, if you love from the heart, you're going to long to see them. You're going to want to see them. Sometimes we barely speak to each other. In order to get through what we're going through, beloved, we have to really love one another. Paul says that they were his crowning achievement. <laughs> you know what that means? Paul believes the best about the people that are at the church at Philippi. And it's going to take us believing the best about each other. We've got to believe the best about each other. We need more of this in our church. We need to get to know each other. And, and as we learn to know each other, we care for one another and believe the best. But you know what? Here's the truth of the matter. I, I can't really start with loving you. I've got to start with being loved by God. 
And when I'm loved by God, he does something in my heart that makes me want to love him. And when I'm, I'm loving him and he's loving me, the overflow is, is that now I love you. And so, beloved, the truth of the matter is, is we may not have an each other problem. We may have a vertical problem. And we're going to need to start there, amen? The Bible says in 1 John 4, 20, listen to these words. Let them resonate over you. If someone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not have love for his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, here's what I'm challenging us to do as a church. Can we start fighting for each other instead of against one another? I think y'all worth fighting for, amen? Man, I love you no matter what you do, what you don't do. I'm trying to figure this thing out like you are. And I want to fight for you. I don't want to fight against you. That's good marriage advice too, isn't it? You can apply this however you want to, but to get through what we're going through, it starts with loving from the heart. But then Paul says something interesting. He says, now you got to last through the hardships. Last through the hardships. Verse 1, he says, beloved, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. We have to make a commitment to stick to this family no matter what. We're going to continue to press on and become like Christ and love our church family. And, and when we're doing that, we're going to go through some hard stuff together. I mean, feelings are going to get hurt. Preferences aren't going to be met. Expectations are not going to be met. In light of the fact that we're brothers and sisters and deeply loved by God, you and I have to make the commitment that we're going to last through the hard stuff. Right now, it's hard for some people in our church, and I get that. Some have been let down because of the buildings that haven't met your expectations. Some people don't understand why well, there's no windows even in this room. There's all kinds of things going on. Some disagree about the direction we're headed with the vision. And we rolled out some new logos and some people are upset about that. It's okay. You get your preference. It's okay. You can feel this way. You don't, God forbid I say it, but some people don't even like the music we sing. If we're going to get through what we're going through, we got to stick around when it's hard. When your preferences don't, you got to stick through it when it's hard. When it feels like nobody is picking what you want to pick, you got to stick through. Some really don't like me. And I know that's hard to be at a church where you don't like the pastor, but can you just hang in there with me? I promise I get sweeter as I get older. Some simply can't forgive others who've hurt them. And, and I don't want to make light of your hurt. It is hard to forgive. It is hard. But can you not quit on us while we're still trying? Can we just say, hey, you know what? I'm working on forgiving you, but I'm not going to give up. You see, I know it's hard, but we can last through the hardships. You know why? Because Paul says stand firm. And the only way we're going to do that is in the Lord. 
See, our strength in this church is not how long we've believed in Jesus, not how many mission trips we go on, not how long we've been here, not how much we know the Bible, or even, even who's the longest tenured person. Our strength is not about that. Our strength to get through the hardship is found only in our union with Jesus. That's why there's hope. <laughs> See, when we make the commitment to last through the hardships, we will find that the strength of the fellowship becomes the strength of the individual. The more isolated I make myself from other Christians, the harder it will be to stick through when it's hard. The church should be the place where people support one another, where we hold each other accountable and we care for one another. It should be the place where the communion of life and we restore believers who have gotten sideways, where we bear each other's burdens. The church is a place where, yes, as 1 Thessalonians says, we should admonish the unruly. But we should also, it says, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. And the Bible says to be patient with everyone. So we get through what we're going through by loving from the heart and lasting through the hardships. But Paul knows, and I know, and you know, that this can only take place where there's an atmosphere of harmony. Only a place where there's harmony. Therefore, threats to the church unity must be confronted. And so Paul dealt with this serious threat to the Philippians church in verses two and three, and he identifies some people by name. <laughs> uh -oh. Don't get nervous. <laughs> that being said, I need to tell you the third thing, and that is simply this. We have to live in harmony. Verses two and three, Paul says this. He says, hey, I urge Euodia and I urge Suntiki to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women. You know what he's really telling us there? He's saying, first of all, if you're going to live in harmony, you've got to identify the hindrances. You've got to identify the hindrances. That's one thing that's incredibly important. If we're going to get through what we're going through. In other words, we have to be willing to face it head on. Paul names these two women's names Euothia is pretty much how you pronounce it. Her name means prosperous journey. That's a beautiful name. Suntikai is how you really pronounce the other name. It means pleasant acquaintance. So you've got here Miss Pleasant Journey and Miss Pleasant Acquaintance who aren't being very pleasant. And one wishes they had never been an acquaintance with the other, and the other wished the other one go on a journey. Think about this. The church had welcomed... If you've been with us, they welcome Epaphroditus back home. He's been up with Paul. He's come back home, and he's called a meeting now to read Paul's letter to the church. The whole church is gathered, man. It's such an exciting deal. The place is completely packed, and Epaphroditus, or one of the elders, broke the seal of the scroll to show that it hadn't been tampered with, and he begins reading, and sentence by sentence of the book of Philippians is unfolded. And here and there, Paul hints about he knows there's some kind of a problem. And, and you can imagine, as Paul begins hinting, Yothia and Suntikai, they, they begin to look at each other with that mean look. You know that look? They look sternly at one another, and then they just kind of look away from one another. And then they dart their, their, their glances at Epaphroditus, and they're like, I bet he went and told on us. Well, I'll just give him a piece of my mind after church. You can believe that. 
And then they heard these words earlier where Paul says, hey, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord. Oh, thanks. But can you imagine being gathered for a large reading and a public reading of this letter, and you're there with a packed house, and Paul's like, and, and maybe uh, uh, somebody, Epaphroditus, whatever, and they go, and I urge uh, you, Yudia, and you, Syndicate, uh, to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, now you talk about naming names. <laughs> you talk about a tense meeting. It just got real right there. Why did Paul name names? Because I'm going to tell you, Paul viewed it like I view it. The harmony of the body is just too serious not to. Now, you can rest assured, if I were to name names, I'd have to start with my own. But I'm not going to name names today. I just want to encourage you to think about whether you're a part the problem with the harmony of this church. See, these two women, they had an influential role too. Now, we don't know whether it was their preferences. We don't know if there was a problem with the leadership. We don't know if they just had a tiff. We don't know, but we definitely know it wasn't because of doctrine. Church stuff's usually never about doctrine. The pattern is all too familiar to us, right? We, words pass between two people over something quite inconsequential. And such a difference of opinion about what type of music should be played in a church or why someone's serving in a certain role or what kind of color the carpet should be or what color the wall should be or what size the building should be. And soon the two people who are having differences aren't on speaking terms at all. They look the other way when they pass each other on the street. Now they tell their spouses and their spouses get involved. Then sympathizers are recruited in the church and then the church begins to take sides. Personality differences, leadership style differences and procedural differences then just magnify the problem and it gets overlaid over top of everything. And with this going on, you know what happens? People that used to think they might want to come to this church start hearing you talking about it at work and they say, I ain't going to that place. And people could go to hell because you can't get over a preference. Man, that's hard. The church just absolutely comes to a stop because all the leadership and all the people are using all their energy just to put out a few fires. Every issue, every suggestion for furthering the ministry of the church becomes the football of church politics. The more spiritual members of the fellowship make a few attempts to bring order. They try to attempt to bring sanity. They try to have confrontations. And then therefore they say, you know what, this, this ain't working. So then they just kind of sit back and just let it happen. And then they begin to look for another church secretly. Listen, beloved, we have to identify the hindrances. But then Paul says you got to invest in hope. You got to invest in hope because verse 2 says to live in harmony, but how? In the Lord again. Notice, though, that Paul says, I urge you, Diodia, and I urge soon to He's not playing favorites here. He's urging both of them, and he's, he's saying, hey, I want you to agree in love. How? He tells them to live in harmony, and that word harmony can be translated to be of the same mind. 
This means to think the same thing, to have the same mind. In other words, have the right attitudes about each other that were found in Jesus Christ. Okay, but, but how do we do that? Well, Paul's already said, have this same mind in you to live in harmony. And he's already told us the ultimate example because back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul said this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, to get through what we're going through, we have to simply die to ourselves just like Jesus did. You talk about preference issues. I don't know, man, uh, Jesus, if, why you would put on this skin? <laughs> he gets sunburnt and stuff. You talk about preferences. Jesus died and put others ahead of himself. Paul again stresses in verse 2 of chapter 4 that this can only be done in the Lord. Here's where the hope comes in, because I'm in Christ and because others are in Christ, and if we're both just willing to submit to the Lord, we ultimately can agree. We can live in harmony. It's possible. I mean, it can happen. It really can. And I believe it is happening. Amen. I've seen some things happening in this church that I'm super excited about. I've seen some people reconciling, and I think it's awesome. I'm so excited about it. Here's where the hope comes in, right? They're called to bow before the lordship of Jesus to put on his mind, humble themselves, give up their rights, and put others first. And so are we to do that. It's the attitude that resembles the gospel that he's after, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, the Bible says something to another church. It says, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may make complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Peter also urges his readers in 1 Peter 3, 8, he says, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. You see, agreement between Yodia and Syndicate was essential, and the spirit in which they find harmony was in the Lord. Paul knew this, and I know this. If you get it right with Jesus, you'll get it right with others. That's our hope. It can be done. But then sometimes it's a little hard, and that's why Paul says the next thing is to intervene with help. Well, you invest in hope, but you intervene with help. He says there, Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who've shared my struggle. Now, here's what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. It's because what Paul did. I just, I'm just trying to model what, what, what the Bible says. Paul alerts the whole church to the problem. I'm telling you today, there's a problem. He tells the whole church, and then he says, hey, somebody, my true companion, help these people. Now, we don't know who it is, but Paul and the church does. And he urges this servant to play the role of peacemaker. There's tremendous importance of the church family in the process of reconciliation. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take everybody. It's going to take everybody playing the role of peacemaker. People can't take sides. People can't choose what they're going to believe. Everybody's got to play the role of peacemaker. I'm asking you today, if you know of something between some other people, can you play the role of true companion? 
Would you help us get through what we're going through? Think about the effect of the shock of these two women in the church when they heard their names being read. I mean, how, how humiliated they must have been if they would have known for the rest of time that every time somebody would read this book of the Bible, their names came up. Is that what you want? Because here's what I'm going to tell you, man. In our business meetings, if we were to record some of the stuff that really went down and the names of people who actually caused problems, your name would be there too. My name would be there. I don't want my name in that book. Because you imagine now, now listen, for, they're up there in heaven and they're like, they're, they're, we shouldn't have done that. Can you imagine? It's like it's just written down. This thing lasts forever, right? It'll be fun to ask them what they were fighting about when we get to heaven, won't it? They're like, yeah, well, her dress was a little too short. <laughs> something stupid, I'm sure. I hope it was something silly because, man, it would break my heart if it was something more. But can I just tell you that Paul knew that an overwhelming sense of shame could, could prevent them from further service. So that's why I'm not naming names. That's why I'm coming down because I don't want to shame or make anybody feel too bad because I don't want to shut anybody down. Because Paul then reminds them that they have been incredibly helpful to him in the cause of the gospel. And he says, your names are written down in the book of life. And he's reminding them of who they are in Christ. Even though we may have troubles, you're still doing good work, church. Your names are still written in the book of life. I don't doubt anybody's salvation. I just think we're just sinful people trying to figure this thing out. And we just got to give grace to each other. He says help. He says somebody help. That word actually is a strong word. It means to seize, to grasp, to apprehend, to catch, or to take hold of something. The verb refers to when they arrested Jesus in the, in the garden, they helped him. <laughs> They, they latched hold of him. It's the same word. It's the same word to catch many fish. The help given to the disciples when they pulled up a heavy load out of the water of fish. That's the same word. So Paul's saying it's going to take a strong help. Almost even a violent snatching of something to stop what's going on. These women have moved so far apart that the only hope for reconciliation is that somebody else gets involved. Paul tries to soften a blow by saying, hey, they're fellow workers. And, and he tries to say, hey, listen, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. What's happening here in Philippi reveals the fact that even the most mature, faithful, and committed people can become selfishly involved in silly squabbles. It's possible. That's why we don't need to doubt each other's character in it. Because it can happen to any of us, Amen. I mean, it can happen. So when you see this happening here at FBC, I wonder if you just join in and help us, but then imagine the harm is the last thing he says. You see, listen, if we don't really get through what we're going through and we don't really figure out how to work this out, man, there are people that are going to be deeply affected by the gospel. These people are genuine believers. Their names are written in the book of life. And it's sad to me to see sometimes when two believers can't resolve non-doctrinal issues. And it's just sad to me. I mean, these are genuine servants. They've contended for the gospel. They've worked along with Clement and others. Not only the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but they've even told other people about how to get into the kingdom. And Paul says, hey, you guys can't just live in harmony. So let me ask you, are you a threat to the unity of this church? 
If right now you have an issue, would you please ask for help? Are you prepared to give help? I want to encourage us to have some awkward conversations here at First Baptist. I mean, if you're going to have real relationships, real relationships with people in this church, you're going to have conflict. It's just going to happen. But we can work this thing out. Seek to submit to the lordship of Christ. Put on the mind of Christ and deal with it through the mind of Christ. All this requires grace-filled humility. And listen, brothers and sisters, if we're spending our energy trying to put out fires here, we can't keep people from the fire that ultimately will consume them. I need you to understand this effect. So imagine the, imagine the harm that goes on. We do stuff here and we can't help people there. To get through what we're going through, we've got to learn to live in harmony. But then Paul says, live and ha- learn happiness. He says, just learn happiness. Verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. You're saying, well, I just don't know how to do that. That's why you got to learn to do it. I was reading a biography of George Mueller who said this. He said, the first great and primary business of my day is to get my soul happy in Jesus. Now, that's awesome stuff. Our joy cannot come from things at this church, the circumstances around us. Paul isn't writing from a beach house. He's writing from a prison house. So then he says rejoice over and over again. It's the deep-seated confidence that God is in control, that God is going to take care of everything, whether I get my way or not. God is going to get glory. Here's something I found this week very, very helpful to me, and it just absolutely landed in my heart, and I want to share it with you. Here it is. Joy doesn't come when you get what you desire, but when you realize what you deserve. Joy doesn't come when you get what you desire, but when you realize what you deserve. I mean, if all of us would just realize that we deserve death, hell, separation, judgment, Everything like that, when we, if we just realized that, we would be so joyful, these petty little things would just kind of seem like inconsequential. How do I get my joy back? Go back to what Jesus has saved you from, amen? Amen, that ought to fire you up. So when we don't get the music we want, or when we don't get the things that we want, or we don't get our desires the way we want them, or when, we, when we're just focusing on what we think we deserve, no wonder we don't have joy. Recently, you guys are here. Maybe you know this song, Pharrell Williams' catchy song, Happy. Y'all remember that little song? Maybe people do a little happy dance, clapping, happy. You know? Come on, Jeremy, help me out. You going to leave me hanging, bro? You can see people singing this song all over, right? They're at sporting events. You know, the camera sings on, the the, the speaker's got happy on, and people are like, yeah, (laughs) all right. You know, they're doing their thing. It's all right. That's my attempt to dance. Y'all chill. Y'all remember the movie Despicable Me Too? It shows up in that movie. It's when Gru, the, the villain, he gets kissed by, by Lucy. And he's like, happy. It's interesting, though. It's when the formerly despicable guy finds love that makes him happy. That sounds just like the gospel. When formerly despicable characters are seized and changed by the love of Jesus, It makes us happy. In Philippians, the happiest man in Rome is in jail. (laughs) 
What makes him rejoice? The good news of Jesus makes him rejoice. Amen. And when we consider what we deserve because of our despicable sin, and we, de- we understand that, that because of the redeeming love of Jesus in Christ, that realization should get us up singing, happy! When you ponder how the Savior has lifted you out of the miry pit, it should give you a new song in your mouth. Rejoice in the Lord in the Savior who loves to redeem people and forgive despicable to people. There are indeed times of grief and sorrow, but 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We can hold those feelings simultaneously. Even in dark times, we can drink deeply from the well of salvation that produces joy in the midst of struggle. I don't know if you know who Blaise Pascal was. He was a mathematical genius. He was a physicist. He was a Christian thinker. He was an inventor. He was a literary stylist and one of the greatest minds in human history. But he had an event happen in his life that changed the direction and the course of his entire life. And it was so pivotal to him that he wrote it down and then he sewed it into the jacket that he wore every day. And here's what he wrote that's in his jacket. In the year of grace, 1654, on Monday, the 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past 12, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thou shalt be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. He is to be found only by the ways taught in the gospel. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God and the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I have separated myself for him. I have fled from him, denied him, and crucified him. Let me never be separated from him again. We may hold of him only by the ways taught in the gospel, renunciation, total and sweet, total submission to Jesus and to my Lord, eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on earth. Pascal described this experience on a piece of parchment known as the memorial and had it sewn into the lining of his successive coats until the very end of his life. Because he said he always wanted to hold close to his heart the memory of how he was saved. You want to learn to be happy? Go back to your salvation. Because when we all go back to our salvation, it makes us understand that we're all sinners covered by grace. If we're going to get through what we're going through, we have to go back and learn happiness. And when we do that, the fifth thing is we can lead in humility. We can lead in humility because he says there, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. This gentleness is a gentle forbearance. It's the opposite of being contentious or self-seeking. It's used in the attitude of kindness where the expected response is supposed to be retaliation. Paul is saying, when you're trying to get through what you're going through, be known for your graciousness. Be known for your gentleness. Be known for your kindness. Be known for your humility.
Can I just challenge you that during these times when we want to kind of give ultimatums and do lots of things, can we be known for our graciousness? Can we be known for our kindness? And I'd love for FBC to be known as a church in LaGrange. It's just the kindest church ever. Then Paul says, lastly, and I close this with this, to look heavenward. Look heavenward because he says, the Lord is near. (laughs) Well, when you hear the phrase, the Lord is near, does that mean that he's coming soon or does that mean that he's here with us now? Yes. It's about his, if it's about his return, then I ought to be living in light of my citizenship. And my citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. But then if it's about his presence, then I have to remember what Jesus said. Hey, go out there and make disciples. But remember, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Listen to me. Can I tell you today, some of you I know, you are brokenhearted over what's happening in your church. I know that because I am. But here's what the Bible says to me in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Amen. Psalm 73, 28 says, but it's for me, the nearness of God is good for me. Woo! (laughs) It's good for me. Look heavenward, the Lord is near and a very present help in our time of trouble. Getting through what we're going through requires that we love from the heart We last through the hardships, we live in harmony, we learn happiness, we lead in humility, and we look in heavenward, church. Jeremy, you guys can come. When I said that when the British and the French were fighting in Canada back in the 1750s, that the Admiral Phipps, who was the commander of the British fleet, he was told to anchor outside Quebec. He was given orders to wait for the British land forces to arrive And once the British land forces were were arriving, they would support him in attacking the city. But Fitz Navy arrived early. And as the admiral waited, he became annoyed by the statues of the saints that that surrounded the towers in a nearby cathedral. And he got so annoyed with those statues of the saints that he commanded his men to shoot at those statues with the ship's cannons. Now, nobody knows how many rounds were fired and how many statues were knocked down, but when the land forces finally got there and the signal was given to attack, the admiral could could help no one because he had used all of his ammo shooting the saints. We're going to get through what we're going through, church can't use all of our energy shooting at the saints. We are not each other's enemy. We're each other's brother and sister. You see, when World War I broke out, the war ministry in London sent a coded message to one of the British outposts in a very remote part of Africa. The secret message said this, war has been declared, arrest everyone in your district. Well, soon after after that, the war minister received a message back and it says this, we have arrested 10 Germans, six Belgians, four Frenchmen, two Italians, three Austrians, and an American. Can you please remind us who we're, we're with? 
We are not at war with one another. We are believers in the Lord Jesus. We're not to fight with one another. We're to fight for one another. So can I just urge you, just like Paul did, can I urge you to live in harmony with one another? Maybe you're like wondering, man, what is this all in the Lord stuff? What is this Palm Sunday? What's this Easter stuff really all about? And you realize, man, you're talking something I don't even know nothing about, man. And I don't even know who this Jesus is you're talking about. Here in a minute, I'm going to pray. And when I say the words, amen, we're going to stand to our feet. And I want to invite you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ the way Blaise Pascal described, you've never come to a point in time in your life where you've realized that you have sinned against God. And because of that, you are separated from Him, but you don't have to be. But the good news, man, is that God so loves you that in spite of your sin, in spite of your turning away from Him, He sent Jesus to rescue you. He loved you so much that Jesus took all the weight of your sin, all the punishment of your sin, and he died on a cross, and he was buried in a grave, and he raised again and stands here through me today saying, would you believe what he's done for you and be forgiven? Would you be raised from the dead of your sin and raised a new life and have heaven as your home and to have joy abundantly here on earth? You can come and know Jesus today. But then for believers, I'm just going to ask you. Would today be the day you set the stuff aside and make it right with your brother or your sister? Make it right with me. Make it right with you. Make it right with her. Make it right with him. Call somebody on the phone right now. Text somebody. Because I promise you this, the Spirit's anointing won't be on a church who is unreconciled. We'll have an Easter service, but we'll miss the anointing of God. So maybe today's crucifixion day. Maybe today's our Friday that we die to our sin so that we can come Sunday experiencing resurrection. Let me pray for you. Lord, I really don't know what you want to do. Lord, I pray that you would search my heart if there is anything in my heart that is not right with anybody else. But Lord, right now, you'd make it known to me and give me the courage to make it right. Reconcile us, God, in the Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Some others will be here to help. Let's sing together.